You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then, Jesus asked them, Which is lawful? Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Father, we we come to your word this morning uh, with hungry hearts. Father, if the hunger is not there, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, give us it, Lord. We want to know you more. Uh, We want to worship you more sincerely. And, Father, we want to to know your presence and to know what, what is true, your love and your approval of us. We thank you, Father, that that was bought for us at the cross by your Son, and we have been redeemed, and we are loved, and it's a love that you lavish upon us, and Lord, we want to, to know it uh, stronger this morning. Uh, Father, we come before you uh, with many things on our minds and many things on our hearts, and yet, Father, through it all, we know uh, deep down uh, that you are more important and to be more cherished than the more help us Lord to live this out to know uh, what it means to to have you as Lord of our lives and Lord of our hearts Father for the struggles and the things that have been a strain and a drain on us this week we lay them down at your cross and we pray Father that you would bring peace and rest and healing to our lives this morning we pray in the name of Jesus Amen Amen. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today on the Lord's Day. Uh, Last week we gave out these scripture journals. There's a few floating around. Hopefully you're able to get hold of one. Uh, They're just uh, a notebook for you to be able to follow along our Mark series and jot down any notes you want inside of it. And there's also a Bible reading plan at the back there as well, uh, which you can try and catch up with. It's only February. You might be all right. Uh, So 
for those of you that are visitors here at our church today, you may not be aware that we're going through our, uh, the book of Mark and we're looking at Jesus and, and the subtitle there is, Who Do You Say That I Am? And that's picking up on one of the key phrases of, uh, of the book of Mark where Jesus asked his disciples that question, Who Do You Say I Am? And that's a very well, a real question that we're still asking and challenging people with today. Who do you say that Jesus is? And that is, if you like... Uh, although it might not have been phrased uh, that way, that is the, the shared sort of concern that we have for the people that we're reaching out to in our communities by doing the Passion for Life. We want people to be presented with that question, who do you say that Jesus is? And our heart's uh, desire and our deepest wish is that people will respond, I say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so that's what we're looking at. We're focusing in in on Jesus. Who was Jesus? What did he do? What was he like? What examples did he give for us to follow in as, as his believers here today that we may be like him? Because this is the greatest uh, desire. It should be the greatest desire of all of our lives. The greatest challenge of every Christian is to be like Jesus. We want to be more and more like Christ. And so it is uh, important then that we focus on him and we come back with regularity to the Gospels to see in through that window from the eyewitnesses of what Jesus was like and what he did, as I said earlier, that we may be like him. So what have we seen so far? Uh, the point of this series is that we culminate around Easter time with uh, Baptism Sunday. Uh, so we've got three people, hopefully, I hope, signed up for uh, or considering baptism. We hope there'll be many more that will want to come and get baptized. So that's how we're culminating this series, uh, with Resurrection Sunday and people uh, being baptized in Nepal right here. And so we're trying to, to cram in lots of different things from the Gospel of Mark, even though it's a short book, along the way. We're not going to touch on everything, but we're trying to highlight a few key areas. Today we're looking at uh, Jesus and the wonderful signs and miracles that he did, and maybe exploring or exploring a little bit on what the Sabbath was uh, so up until this point where we land here, where Adelisa read to us from uh, Mark chapter 3, we've seen all sorts going on, haven't we, in, in Mark's sort of rapid fire uh, eyewitness account. So it moves very quick. It's the fastest and the shortest out of all the gospel accounts. And so far we've seen that Jesus was uh, baptized. He was sent into the wilderness where he resisted Satan. We saw how he was the sinless one. And because he was sinless, he was able to be the propitiation. He was able to be uh, our sacrifice upon, upon the cross. He was a sacrifice, the Lamb of God who stood in our place for our sins and took God's wrath upon himself. Uh, last week we saw how Jesus immediately began his ministries. He called people to come and help him in the task of proclaiming the kingdom, proclaiming a message of repentance, and he calls people. And we see the nature of the people that he called. This is important that we understand this, that Jesus did not come to the righteous, but Jesus came to the unrighteous. Jesus came to those that were sick and in need of the great physician. So we saw last week, didn't we, how Jesus called Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, the, the one who was the right outcast of society, who people thought was a traitor and a thief, how Jesus called him to come and follow him and be his disciple. And that should give us all hope, shouldn't it? That Jesus is the one who doesn't look at us because of all that is wrong and all the world would say is wrong about us. And it doesn't matter how bad you think you are coming in here today. 
Jesus came for sinners that he may make them whole and heal them and forgive them and call them into his family. And I just take great encouragement that that is what Jesus does. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And furthermore, what we start to see now as the narrative starts to shift a little bit is as we follow the life and the actions of Jesus, you see time after time after time that Jesus healed people. Jesus set people free from the demons that were afflicting them. Jesus healed people from their ailments and from their diseases and from the things that were crippling them. Jesus set them free and healed them in the spiritual sense as well by showing them that he was their saviour and he was the one that could pull them out of the prison of sin and death and shame and make them whole and make them new, make them a new creation. So all the way now along the scriptures, what we will see, particularly in the, the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus is God's son who heals. And so let's pause for a brief moment there and ask ourselves, how, how then are we to view Uh, healing passages such as this in scripture well we do well to remind ourselves of this fact and we need to remind ourselves of this fact because of this sort of secularized society that we live in where uh, we just look at this stuff or much of uh, our culture looks at the extraordinary the miraculous as something that just never happened right it's all just airy fairy it's all make-believe but it's not okay this really happened. And so we do well to remind ourselves that Jesus, the Lord of life, has complete authority over all things. Jesus, the Lord of life, has complete authority even over sickness, and that includes leprosy. That includes blindness, that includes deformities, and yes, COVID and cancer, Christ has complete control over everything. He is truly supreme. The Bible says that all things were created by him, all things were created through him, and all things were created for him. Which means at the beginning of the earth, when we were made, Jesus was not absent. Jesus didn't just show up in the incarnation on Christmas Day or thereabouts. Jesus, the eternal member of the Godhead, was always there. And so if all things were made by him and through him and for him, that means he has all authority over even our bodies and over all sickness. The question becomes difficult when we start to ask, why then does he not? Why doesn't Jesus always heal us? And the answer, the honest answer, is that I do not fully know why some are healed and some are not. Seemingly many more are not. If we look at it just pragmatically, why? But I can tell you this. I have absolutely, or I absolutely believe that God is sovereign over each and every situation, and I absolutely trust him to make the right decision in people's life. So I was reminded of a story, and it sums it up quite well, of uh, a time when the firstborn daughter of an English preacher called Dr. Uh, Campbell Morgan, uh, his daughter lay at the point of death, and years later, speaking on the incident of the raising of Jairus' daughter, this doctor, he said these words. He said, I can hardly speak of this matter without it becoming personal and reminiscent. Remembering a time 40 years ago when my own first lassie lay at the point of death, dying. I called for him then, Jesus, and he came and surely said to our troubled hearts, Fear not, believe only. He did not say, 
she shall be made whole. She was not made whole on the earthly plane. She passed away into the life beyond. But he did say to her, Talitha Kumi, that he needed her, and he took her to be with himself. And she has been with him for all of these years. As we measure time here, and I have missed her every day, but his word still comes to me, believe only. And it has been the strength of all the passing years. So, very briefly, do I believe that God physically heals today? Yes, I do. I've seen it. And I fervently believe in praying for healing, and we should pray for one another and for their sickness, trusting and praying expectantly that God can heal. But does God always heal on this earth? No. And that's easily and at times painfully observed. But remember this, believer. Losing a loved one in the Lord is not how the story ends. My Jesus has gone to the cross and he has defeated sin and death. And so we say, oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has conquered and he reigns victorious so that when our time comes, whenever that is, we too may be raised to life to be with him. And that is infinitely better. We cannot hang on to the things of this world. To be with Christ is better. It's better. So friends, don't stop praying. Surround yourself with friends like we see in the text, chapter 2-3. Do you remember the story of the friends that came alongside uh, the crippled man and helped him down towards Jesus? Don't stop praying. Surround yourself with friends who will stand with you in believing and will pick you up where you cannot stand for yourself because they know that what you need is to get closer to Jesus. So bank that. Moving swiftly on. Uh, By the end of the passage today in Mark chapter 3, verse uh, 7, Mark tells us that there were people from verse 7, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, which is kind of this sort of half-Jewish place, and it says that from even beyond, from the Jordan and Tyre and Sidon, and we read that so many people are coming to Jesus to be healed and to watch him heal. And the crowds are starting to crush Jesus. And that Jesus said, get a boat ready, quickly, out on the lake to get some more space. Uh, Jesus often went to the other side of the lake because it, there would have been a different governor at the other side and it just would have given him a bit of respite or he would often say, take me out onto the lake as a place where he could just get a breather. And here we read that great crowds are trying to get into Jesus. They all want to be healed or they all want to watch him heal. They're pushing in and they're even trying to reach out even that they might just lay hold and, and touch Jesus. That's all they could hope for, just that they could touch for Jesus. And I don't know if this is intended, but from the gospel writers. But for me, this is a beautiful analogy of, of, of how we need to reach out for Christ in our own lives because of our need. We should be reaching out to, to Jesus in this way. As you see physically, people just trying to reach out, just let me touch Jesus. That should be something of the spiritual appetite of the believer. Reaching out to Christ. Lord, please bless me. Lord, please speak to me. Please be with me today and in my circumstances. Now, if you contrast that attitude here in the Gospels of, of, of a desperation for Christ, trying to get near to him, trying to be with him, 
contrast that with what I think Mark is trying to show us here again, and we touched on it last week, is alongside that is the religious hypocrisy and the religious pride of the Pharisees and of the religious leaders. So what you start to see now alongside the mission of Jesus is the mission of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and their attitudes towards Christ. Isn't it interesting how whenever things are going well and Jesus is at work and people are being set free and blessed and and, and life is just flourishing all over again, you always start to see and you can always guarantee that you will see opposition. And legalism pops its ugly head up. That's the contrast Mark is is wanting us to see here in this passage. Because these are the people that will go on and initiate his death in the Passion Week. So Mark is, is drawing the two together. He's helping us to see when we get to Passion Week that this is the reason why they were trying to put him to death. Mark is showing us why. So he does so in a few different ways. One, they didn't like, this is the religious leaders, namely the Pharisees, they didn't like the popularity of Jesus who gathered crowds wherever he went. Yeah? Jesus was popular. His fame was spreading all throughout the region and beyond Tyre and Sidon. And they didn't like it. They wanted to be the popular ones. They wanted the crowds to come to them. But they were going to this Galilean carpenter who no one had ever heard of. Jealousy. Nothing new there today, as Solomon writes, nothing new under the sun. People get jealous of other people's success. People get jealous of other people's fame. Number two, they didn't like what he said, notably that he forgave sins. They said, who is this man? Who is doing this? What authority do you have? Only God forgives sins. Number three, they didn't like the fact that he performed these many signs and miracles. So in the first three chapters alone, uh, we've seen Jesus heals a possessed man, chapter 123, Simon's mother-in-law, 30 and 39, many others who were sick with all sorts, and also the demon-possessed. Verse 40, he heals a leper, chapter 2, a paralytic, paralytic, and 2.13, a greedy thief, the tax collector. And now chapter 3, the man with a withered hand. And because of all of these wonderful things, and they're wonderful things that Jesus is doing, religiosity, legalism, a pharisaical attitude rears its ugly head. And to quote uh, Luke 7.22, this is in response to great things that are happening. The blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised to life, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And yet this religious attitude could not stand it. Now, how would the Pharisees act now in the narrative? How will they respond? What will they choose to do? They have a choice. What will they do with Jesus? Who will they say that he is? Well, uh, using C.S. Lewis's paradigm here, you can put him in a box. He's either a lunatic, he's either a liar, or he's Lord, right? Choose. And we all need to choose. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he a liar, is he a lunatic, or is he Lord? Well, chapter 2, verse 6 tells us that they thought, because they questioned him in their hearts... And they came to the conclusion that he must be, yeah, probably a lunatic, but also that he was a liar. He lied. He was a liar. 
Who the heck does he think he is? How dare he say he can forgive sins? And so now by chapter 3, verse 2, if you follow with me, they are gathered, not like the crowds reaching out for mercy and grace and love and compassion and healing from Jesus. No, they're reaching out uh, with wicked intent and with wickedness in their hearts. They're gathered for the wrong reasons, insincere reasons, poisonous reasons. And that's the contrast that Mark is showing us. Those that humble themselves, that know they are sinful, those that know they need help and mercy, those that call out in their desperation, Jesus, heal me. And those that have the appearance, on the other hand, of religion, religiosity, of righteousness, self-righteousness, critical, critical spirits, and, and always just uh, picking out the worst in things. And what you have to do, actually, as you look at the contrast, is ask yourself the question, who are the ones who are really sick here? Who are the ones who are really sick here in this narrative? Is it the one with the withered hand? Is it the leper? Is it the paralytic? Is it uh, Simon's mother-in-law? Are they the ones that's really sick? Because I don't think, actually, that's what Mark is really showing us. Yeah, they were physically sick. But Mark is showing us, actually, the sickness of religiosity and hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Mark is trying to, to show us that, actually, it's the religious church people here in the synagogue that are sick so case in point and and where we see it take a nosedive is if you turn to chapter 3 verse 2 is Jesus is where is he he's at church he's in the synagogue and there's a man there with the withered hand withered hand that we've we've heard read to us the religious leaders verse 2 are watching because What really angered them wasn't just the popularity or the words he spoke or the healings, but that he wasn't, in in their eyes, he wasn't obeying the Sabbath day, which, for those of us that don't know, was the Jewish day of of rest, which was a Saturday. Okay, so just to, uh, let's tackle that a little bit, because I appreciate not everyone will know what a Sabbath is about. In case you're unsure, let's unpack that a little bit, because this was a key thing. In fact, this was one of the, if not the main argument for why they had Jesus put to death, the Sabbath. So it was a big deal. So there are others with other views, uh, but for me, uh, the Sabbath is a creational order. It's something shown to us in Genesis where God, having made the world in six days, he rested. Not because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. God is all-powerful. So he rested to, to bless and to make holy the seventh day. A Sabbath then became, consequently, a Sabbath day for all of God's people, where they too rested and observed it as holy. It was a day whereby Israel uh, declared total and absolute dependence on the Lord, knowing that, as for, knowing that for just one day a week in their seven, okay, they put down their shovels, they put down their plows, and they rested from their labors, and they said, we're not going to work Okay, and we're just going to trust in you, God, to provide for the other days as I take this one day to dedicate it to, to you. So, God not only shows us how to do it himself, as we see in Genesis, but he also goes on to write it in stone and made laws for us to, to, to follow as well. So, Exodus 20, honour, or remember the Sabbath day. Okay, honour the Sabbath. And then if you look with me uh, to Exodus 31, 
12 to 17. We'll flick there very quickly. Exodus 31, 12 to 17. God speaking to his people about the Sabbath. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Sabbath was to be revered as a day of rest, day of rest, and a day made holy. For the law. And throughout the scriptures, the Sabbath has played a major function in the flourishing of God's people and of the land. The problem, once again, that we see here in how the Pharisees viewed it was that in order to protect its sacredness, they surrounded it with rule upon rule upon rule. And to break those periphery rules, those ring fence rules, was as bad as the actual breaking of the law. So we see in chapter 2, 23, for example, where the disciples are walking through the grain fields, picking wheat for food. Immediately the Pharisees pick Jesus up and said, well, why are you doing this? Because it's attacking not the actual law of God, the Mosaic law, but the rules that they put around protecting the Sabbath. They say, Jesus, why are your disciples acting in this way? Why are they breaking the laws? Now, it wasn't an actual violation of the law, but as I've said, a rather a violation of their rules for rules around the law. For example, now cover your, your ears if you're into all the Fitbit and step keeping and all the rest of it, or some Sunday supermarket shoppers, okay? So the, 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 the law that the Pharisees put in place would say things like, no more walking than 1,999 steps, okay? Some of you would be stuffed, some of you would be relieved, okay? Some uh, other rules that they said, no picking food. You cannot pick food on the Sabbath because that is working. So as his disciples are walking through the field, working, walk, walking a distance beyond 2,000 steps, that's breaking their laws. And not only are they breaking the law through the steps that they're racking up on their Fitbits, okay? They're picking food. And so they're breaking the law that way as well. And that's work. But Jesus is saying the very thing that was made for you to enjoy, you are making unenjoyable because of these rules that you're adding. And so fast forward to the New Testament. Okay, so bank that for a minute. Fast forward to the New Testament and the argument between Jesus uh, and the religious was often over the Sabbath and the rules. And Jesus corrects them in chapter 2, 23. He says, the Sabbath was given for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is to say, man was not made to uphold some ritual, but the ritual was made to uphold man and his welfare. It's for his welfare. And the reason he gave it to us and said, follow it with great seriousness, is because he knows how we are made and he knows how we function and he knows that we need to take a day's rest. And some of you need to know today that you need to take a day's rest. Because it's good for you and it's God-ordained. A pattern that we should still be following today. Take a day off to rest and honour the Lord. And observe it as holy. Don't, that doesn't mean cram it with busyness, yeah? Y'all. Doesn't mean cram it with busyness and just overloaded schedules. And I've got to go here and I've got to do this. And to the point where it's not resting. That's not what it means. A day off to rest. 
to do nothing, kick back, watch the football if you must, the American football, chill out and to honour the Lord on that day. Not cram it with more busyness and stress. In fact, it's my view that Jesus did not come to, uh, well, it is the Bible's view, that Jesus did not come to abolish the law but to fulfil it. He was perfect in every respect unto the law, but the New Testament does seem to indicate that this rest offered on the Sabbath, as we view what does it mean for us today, is now actually offered in, in Christ, right? This, this, the, the meaning of the Sabbath is now fulfilled in Christ, and we find our Sabbath rests in Christ. Similarly, perhaps, to the way we view Christ in us replacing the temple. And then jump forward to Hebrews, and the writer says that our ultimate rest will be found not in regulations or traditions, but in Jesus. And the day is coming when we shall enter into that rest, when God's people will enjoy work without toil and hearts without sin and a restored earth. The day has already come for our loved ones that knew the Lord, those that we lost because they were not healed on this earth, have at last entered that rest. Praise the Lord. And the day has already come for us, as Hebrews 6.5 seems to indicate, that those are, who are in Christ already have a foretaste of that rest to come. So, in one way, the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, and we're not called to be legalistic about it. Uh, Romans picks up on that, Romans 14.5. But there's still a principle there that is wise for us to stick to. Take a day off. Rest, honour the Lord with it, and don't cram it full of busyness, okay? And that's a, that's a, that's a, a word for some of us here. That's a word for me, and that's a word for some of you today. You're working, you know, you need to just chill and spend time with the Lord and spend time resting and enjoying his goodness and his faithfulness. And that's a principle that we do well to honour and keep. I do, I do wonder... Uh, on a side, that what would happen actually if you actually had a day of, of rest where you rested your bodies and your minds from work, from your schedules, from cleaning and scrubbing and laundry, from working, from shopping and just relaxing and just relaxed and just played, from doing to, to being. I, I wonder what would happen. What do you think would happen to our society and our land if our shops went back to the way it used to be when I was a kid growing up and they shut up and they did nothing? And they just let the land and let people rest for a day. I wonder, I wonder what would happen. What do you think would happen? Anyway, as no one answered me, I'll move on. <laughs> so, right, back to our, our reading today. Where they are, they're watching, aren't they? And they're waiting to see if he would break the Sabbath. We understand what the Sabbath is about now. So that they could accuse him. Jesus, seeing a man in need, tells him, stand up. In front of everybody. And he asked those observing, with their list of accusations ready to pounce on Christ, he asked them, is it okay to do good or is it okay to do harm on the Sabbath? And their response would surely have been, yes, it's okay to do good, but not today, Jesus. Come back tomorrow. Yeah? Do good tomorrow, just not today. But for Jesus, it was always right, always right to do good. And it's always rights for us and as God's people to do good and show compassion on every day of the week but because of the religious pride of the people they couldn't see 
that the law of love, the law of love overrides the law or the rules and these regulations every single time. And what do they do? The text tells us that they remain silent, trapped inside of their religiosity, bound to their rules and regulations and unhealthy expectations. And Jesus' response is amongst the most intense you will find in the gospel. You, you don't pick up on it, just reading it. You have to dig a bit deeper. Because Jesus, verse 5, it says, Looking at them, seeing their hearts, knowing their hardness, was filled with anger and grief. And the word that Mark use here is, uses here, the Greek word, it's not just talking about being annoyed. Okay? A bit miffed off with someone who's rubbed you up the wrong way. It's not even meant to mean a righteous indignation. The word that Mark is using here is filled with fury. Christ is filled with fury when he sees the religiousness and the pharisaical attitude of their hearts. Jesus was outraged, as one scholar, that the religious leaders cared more about their traditions than the suffering and the welfare of God's people, the people they were called to shepherd. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to be like your son that has that same heart, right? The son who came not for the righteous and the healthy, but for those who are sick and those who are in need of a physician. That's the call of the church. It's the priority of the church to go out to the lost and to reach them with the love of Christ that they may be healed. Verse 5, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And at once he was healed and the response from verse 6 is that from then on, the Pharisees planned how they might have him killed. And then that begins the catalogue of him, them putting him, seeking to put him to death. This is the religious, the church response in this example to grace. That's how the religious respond to God's grace shown in Christ. Could there have been a worse way says R.C. Sproul on this, a worse way of violating the sanctity of the day God set apart for the well-being of us, of his people, than to plot to kill the Lord of the Sabbath on the Sabbath day. Isn't it ironic that they do this? The Lord of the Sabbath, they're seeking to plot him because of what he's doing on the Sabbath. They're seeking to kill the Lord of the Sabbath on the Sabbath day. It's a tragic, tragic contrast that Mark lays before us. The sick who know their need and the even sicker who know not their need. Religiosity against relationships, legalism and rules up against grace, pride against humility. So let's conclude. Church. Brothers and sisters, Jesus always cuts to the heart of the matter. Always. Beyond the religious, religiousness, the self-righteousness, the legalism, he goes straight beyond it and through it all, the great observer of our hearts, and he goes straight to our heart, the heart of the matter, beyond the religious exterior, deep down beyond the pretense and the religiosity, straight to the heart. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It's valuable for teaching the truth, convicting of sins, correcting faults and training in right living. If that is true, if that's why the Bible has been given to us, if that's why we sit here under the word and listen to what it's saying, 
I wonder what God is saying to us today. Because actually, we're not all that different from the pharisaical attitudes that we see here in the first century. We're not. We're really not. I'm not. I have a tendency to resort back to religiosity and works-based salvation. And I do this. We all do it. And if this is God's word, and if it's given to us to correct us and lead us to life, what is he saying to us today? Maybe his grace to us as we consider his son, the Lord Jesus, in this series, is showing us that he came for the forgotten, the lost, the poor and the broken, and we should do likewise. We are not called to be a Christian club. Heaven and hell are real. People are really going there for eternity. And we are on a rescue mission before all else as a church to preach a message of repentance and faith in Christ. We know that. We've seen that in the first two chapters. But maybe now, maybe his, his grace to us today is showing us that we need to be careful that we don't turn our lives and what is good, good gifts from God, into legalism and a works-based salvation. Because if we're not careful, they can do. And one of the ways we can combat that tendency of our flesh is by taking a day off. Not to fill it with busyness, but just to rest in the Lord. Maybe some of you are too busy and it's not good for you. Take a day off each week. Honour the Lord. Rest and trust in him for your rest. Maybe his grace is being extended to you today in the battles that you face. Marriages, parenting, singleness, depression, illness, unforgiveness of heart. Maybe some of you are carrying bitterness today. And maybe you, like the characters in our study today, have a choice too. You can either harden your hearts, like the Pharisees. Okay, you can harden your hearts. Or, you know, and the reason why we do so is because no one likes to confess they're a charity basket, do they? No one likes others to see, oh, I went forward for prayer and I needed help. We don't like to make ourselves vulnerable in that way. And, and by doing that, are we not? Are we not showing a form of, of, of our own self-righteousness there, our pharisaical attitude, a, self, a, a fake humility by refusing help? But it's God's grace that he's given to us through, through his people and coming to ask for help. Maybe his grace is being extended to you. I wonder today if you are actually really struggling with something. Don't harden your hearts. Come to the Lord. Reach out to the Lord that he may in his grace heal you. Now, it's something that we haven't done in a while at church, but if that's you and you would like to get some prayer today, would you allow myself or Chris or one of the guys uh, or some other people that you know and trust to, to come alongside you and, and help you, uh, like the friends that helped the person who needed to be brought nearer to Jesus? Would you allow us to come alongside you and pray for you today? We'd love to pray for you at the end of the service for healing, for rest, for troubled hearts and troubled minds. And I'll be waiting down the front and willing to, to pray for you. If that's you and, and you know you need to reach out and ask Christ for, for his grace. But we're going we're gonna to pause it there. We'll pick up some of these things over the, over the coming weeks. And I'm just going to pray now. But again, if that's you and you need to reach out to Christ because you know you need his rest and his peace and his healing, then come and speak to me or Chris or, or someone at the end of the service and we will happily pray for you, trust in that God is mighty and God loves you 
and God is ready to pour out his compassion upon you. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a good God to us. We thank you for giving us your son. We thank you, Lord, that he is Lord over all things. He's Lord over our lives. He's Lord over our minds. He's Lord over our hearts, our finances, our families, our jobs, everything. And Lord, we are sorry uh, that at times we, we don't always treat you in that way and that many times we revert back to this sort of horrible form of of legalism and and self-righteousness or salvation by works and we don't want to be like that we want to be people that are filled with faith that love you and honor you and trust in you in all of our everything we have and so father for some of those things we've spoken about today if it's coming to you and finding peace and refreshment and healing or, Father, whether it's just stopping from the busyness of life, this mad conveyor belt that life is on, and coming off of it for a day to recognize you as Lord of the Sabbath, Lord over our lives, Lord over everything. Lord, would you speak to us and show us some things this morning from your word and by the prompting of your Holy Spirit? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We love him and we want to be like him. Help us, Lord, for your glory. And for the flourishing of your people, we pray in his good name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.